Welcome to the Be Brave podcast, where ordinary, badass, brave women speak their stories of courage and strength. We hope that by hearing the struggles and successes of women just like you, it will help you be brave. Please note that the Be Brave podcast does cover adult topics that include overcoming adversity in areas of sexual abuse, addiction, depression, and other difficult experiences. Today we have Taylor Bennett with us. Taylor is a wife and mother, as well as a naturopathic nutritional therapist, master life coach, and energy healer who is dedicated to improving the health and well-being of others. She has an insatiable curiosity of the mind, body, spirit, and soul connection, and is also passionate about people, nutrition, the human body and mind, and nature, to name a few. When she isn't working or tending to her family, you can most likely find her reading a book, researching a health topic out in nature, or doing her newfound joy of knitting or other needlework. Taylor, thank you for joining us today. We're super excited to have you and share your story. Hi, thanks. It's good to be here. Yeah, welcome, Taylor. We really appreciate you being here to tell your story. And I'm going to read the quote that we read at the beginning of our podcast to every one of our guests. One day you will tell your story of how you've overcome what you're going through now. It will become part of someone else's survival guide. So we're really excited to hear your story. And uh, hopefully we're going to be able to have you help others who've been through similar things. Taylor, I have to say, when I first met you, I was blown away with what you told me. I have a background in physical therapy and I have seen and treated numerous lots of people with rheumatoid arthritis. And when you told me that you had past tense rheumatoid arthritis, it kind of took me by surprise. I've read about people healing themselves from such an autoimmune disease. And I've heard about the power of the mind in healing, but I've never met anybody who has actually healed themselves from an autoimmune disease, let alone rheumatoid arthritis, which could be so debilitating to your joints. And it's obvious to me and was obvious to me when I saw you that you had or had rheumatoid arthritis. You had both your knees replaced. You have some, you know, you could see that your joints were affected by the disease. And I'm just blown away by your strength and your courage and your bravery to to just say, this is not going to be my story. This is not going to define me. And I'm not going to have this for the rest of my life. Please share with us what you did, what, when were you diagnosed? What was, what happened? What's your story? I can't wait to hear it. Hi. Well, thank you. Yeah. So at 15, I was on a traveling volleyball team and went up for a block, regular practice. I was middle blocker and the ball hit my hand funny, my fingers funny. I went home and I was like, man, that really hurts. And then it it didn't go away. So then I went to physical therapy and they said, oh, like this looks a lot like arthritis. And I honestly, I didn't even really know what that was. I knew that my grandmother had something called something like that. 
I was like, no, this is like old people. And from there, it just really rapidly deteriorated. I was diagnosed at 16. And then it was almost some people, actually a lot of people I've met, they say it almost just happened overnight. And it really did kind of feel like that, you know, going from normal traveling the country as a 15 year old on a really cool volleyball team to not being able to play the next fall, losing about 20 to 30 pounds, which really was about like cachexia, you know, cancer patients get cachexia, but I had so much muscle and just to not be able to utilize that. I just, I was like skin and bones. (laughs) And then, yeah. So I got the diagnosis. This was, I was playing volleyball in April, got the diagnosis in September and you know, come about February the next year, you know, my parents thought maybe I had an eating disorder as well, because I was just so like that thin. I just got so thin. Will you define cachexia for the the people who don't know? Uh, Cachexia is like muscle, muscle wasting. I mean, I don't know if this is the technical term, but I would call it extreme muscle loss, you know, just where the body's like fighting to survive. So it's, it's just utilizing all that muscle. That's what I know as. So yeah, you see that in a lot of cancer patients. So like, you know, that kind of end stage, so to speak. Yeah. So I was bedridden for a couple of years, finished high school with having a teacher come to my house. I didn't think I was going to graduate. Like, just help me graduate. Whatever you do, give me. Like, wow. Is this all because, first of all, it started in your hands, but it did it progress too? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry. It, it was so so the thing with rheumatoid arthritis is it's, it is symmetrical. You don't, it's typically symmetrical. Whereas osteoarthritis, you can have like, um, well, like the, you know, there was a guy today with his elbow. It, it's like one-sided small joint and rheumatoid arthritis is typically like your toes or your ankles or your feet or everything. So mine was hands. And then I would say feet, hands and feet. I always forget about the feet. I just kept thinking I needed new shoes. <laughs> So my dad loved that one. <laughs> I was like, I just need a new pair of shoes. These hurt. I need a new pair of shoes. And then, yeah, then it went to knees. I wouldn't say it ever totally affected my hips, but, you know, sometimes if I'm doing like weight training and I do a hip thing, I'm like, ooh, that's, you know, I, I definitely, I'm, I don't have the range of motion I would like in my hips, but there's never been that massive arthritic pain in my hips. At least not that, I, there could have been, I can't remember all the things. I'm like, sometimes I just forget now. I'm like, oh, was there? Yeah. But the thing is, there was something in me and I, this is like really important. There was something in me from, from the day of being diagnosed that I thought, okay, so now how do I get rid of it? There was never like, I don't know. It is never an, a sentence. It was never a life sentence. So there was always this deep belief. And I do believe through all the work I've done, it, you know, our journeys and where we get to is really about the belief we have. And that's what a lot of, like, sometimes that's where I have to start working with people is just their belief that their body is capable of healing. So I always knew there was something in me that just always knew that, okay, how do I fix this? Like, this is a problem and how do I fix it? Where does that come from in you? Where Do you feel like that's a, something you've learned? Is it something that you feel like you always had? I mean, at 15 years old, it's not something we usually think about. I mean, I can think about being 15 years old and gosh, whatever a doctor would have told me would have been my life sentence because I wouldn't have known any better. I wouldn't have, I would think that they're the authority and they're telling me, you know, what I need to know. So where does that come from in you? Possibly my upbringing. I grew up really religious, but also 
you know, like praying and stuff and having a relationship with God. But also my parents didn't take me to regular doctors. I mean, I kind of begged them. I kind of begged them at one point to just take me to a doctor and get me medicine, you know, which is funny because they're not like hippy dippy either. I mean, my father was a dentist, but he, he was the dentist who doesn't really believe in fluoride, you know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, so when I was diagnosed, it wasn't even to a rheumatologist. It was to some holistic, I think, a naturopathic doctor. Maybe she was an MD, but a, definitely an alternative one. I think she never put the fear in me, you know, like, oh, you're screwed for life. This is it. Because oh. I think that's a big problem these days is I'm not, I'm not bashing the allopath, the you know conventional medical route, but a lot of them go to school and they study really pharmacology and and the process of disease and how to prescribe, you know, a pill for an ill. Right. And I love doctors. I've had many help me, but that I think that's why so many people go and get a diagnosis and they're like, okay, game over. So I, I didn't go to a doctor like that. So I think, I think that helped, but there was just something within me that was, I like to, I'm a very curious person. I think that's also helped. I've been curious since I can remember. And I like, like somebody the other day told me, oh, well, this won't regenerate something on their body. And he said, you've birthed two children. You've grown two healthy little boys. Don't tell me that something can't regenerate. Like, look at the human being, look at a, a fetus. Like it is incredible. I just find the, the, the miracle of the human body, like it really just miraculous. I find it so fascinating. So carrying along with, um, I was, yeah, bedridden and then graduated. And then, you know, with these autoimmune diseases, a lot of people have ebbs and flows. And I think they put me on like Celebrex. It's a COX-2 inhibitor. It helps with inflammation, but nothing big at the time. And I went along with my life. And funny enough, when I moved away from home at 18, I started to feel a lot better. And I went moved to Arizona and then I moved to Germany and I was an all pair. And then I moved to back to Utah where I'm from. And then I moved to the East Coast. And I was every time I would move away, I just felt really good. So that's where I think emotional stuff comes into play. Like stress, you know, we have our stressors, right? Yeah. And then I moved back to Utah and it like really started to go downhill again. And I went and I did like this, this place in San Diego where you eat raw for the, uh, we did three weeks. You can go for a week, you can go for months. We went for three weeks and you eat raw and you like coffee not enema. Yeah. Coffee enemas and, and all this stuff. And yeah. Colonics. And I was like, <laughs> I mean, I've tried it all. I have tried it all. I've done it all. <laughs> um, again, curiosity though. So anyway, we did that, my mother and I, and then, and then I don't, I don't know. It just spiraled. It just kind of spiraled for a couple of years. And I would say from 20 to 20, five-ish. It just really was not fantastic. Like, Were you living in Utah at the time? So I moved at 23 and my family my is kind of from Vegas. My dad was a dentist there. We moved when I was eight. So I was kind of moving back, even though it wasn't really home. Okay. And then uh, I met my now husband and yeah, I just kind of lived with it for a few years. I got on some biologics, which are like the really big guns. Oh, previously they had put me on chemotherapy and, you know, they call it the trifecta. It's chemotherapy, like hydroxychloroquine and Plaquenil. 
just so funny, all this hydroxychloroquine stuff. I'm like, it's okay. I took it for years. <laughs> I didn't know they prescribed chemotherapy for rheumatoid arthritis. They do for a lot of autoimmune diseases. It's really? called methotrexate. Mm-hmm. I did not know that. And all of these drugs are damaged, like really big time drugs and very damaging, right? It's Absolutely. They can make you infertile They or they can damage your babies. So it's like, you know, it's really, really important. Like if you're planning, if you're a woman, young woman, because a lot of young women are on these things. If you're planning for a family, you've got it. That's why I, I've got a nine-year-old and we're, we're working. I am not taking her off of it. She is working with her doctor, but we are working to get her there. <laughs> You mean not your child, nine-year-old. You mean a nine-year-old client. No, no. I am working with a nine-year-old client who's got RA. Yeah. Then I was living in San Diego. And I mean, just like I've met you guys, I just built this network of amazing people who were super well-connected. And and I was seeing a rheumatologist there and he goes, look, like we can only get you so far with medication. You're going to need knee replacements. And I think I was 20... I think I was 24 when they told me this. Wow. And I was like, no, like, even though I could barely walk. I mean, my range of motion, Patty, you know, physical therapy, my range of motion was 30 degrees. Wow. How did you walk? So I went and got stem cell treatments, didn't work. And eventually I had to use a cane after that. That really set me back. I thought it was going to be like this miraculous thing. And I actually, I actually got that in Miami. And then, so anyway, I ended up using a cane. And the doctors, I saw one rheumatologist and he was like, you got to do this. So then I visited about four different surgeons in the San Diego area. And again, so everything has just come into my life, like, like divinely. It's been so amazing. And this woman I knew, she said, I don't know this guy, but I got his name for you. His name's Dr. Santori. And I went and saw him. It was a three month waiting list to get into him. He's one of the top hip and knee surgeons in the world. Like he he lectures all over. Anyway, I got in and he was like, oh yeah, we're going to like totally take care of this. It's going to be awesome. And I was excited, but really nervous. You know, I had never had a surgery in my life. I had had stitches. That was it. And I just, that was really scary for me. I remember sitting in his office the day before and just bawling my eyes out in front of two pre-med students. Yeah. <laughs> like, just, I don't know. And he's like, look, you're going to be able to walk. Like, you can't do anything right now. And I was like, I know, you're so right. <laughs> That's a tough, a tough surgery. That's a scary thing for yeah. a 24-year-old. That's a tough. So I was 25 by the time I got to see him. And yeah, but yeah. That's a tough surgery. And did you have them both done together? Yeah, he did bilateral because I didn't have what he would call a good leg to stand on. So, um, so yeah, he did that. And I think I was in re like at the hospital for a couple of days. And I just remember when they made me take those first steps, I thought I was going to die. I was like, give me another nerve block. Like this is the most painful oh. thing ever. And it's hard. That's a tough yeah. thing. That's really hard. Yeah, but but it's manageable. I mean, like not to get into the surgery side of things, but you know, if somebody listening is going to go through it, I just say stay on top. Like, do not be humble about pain medication at that time. Just stay on top of it and take it, take it as much as you need. <laughs> like, hit that button. And it's come a long way since then. How old are you now? I am thirty six. I always forget my age. <laughs> so, <laughs> so yeah, it, eleven years. It's a lot. It's a lot. You know, better now. week and a half. It's eleven years. Wow. 
And after that, yeah, rehab was a really long time. But, you know, I look at it and I think that was January. By, I think, April, we were traveling again. We traveled a lot back then. We were traveling internationally again. And then September, we got married. And you would never know, looking at my wedding photos, that I had just had knees done like nine months prior. And I think that winter, I went skiing. Wow. Awesome. So it just, it's like, I think it's just about, you know, having a, like, and I say this as somebody who is like really bad planner, like, but it's having a bit of a plan, kind of having a vision, I would say, and say, okay, well, this is the next step of how to get there. And this is, you know, I'm going to feel so much better after this. And then it's just kind of like ticking it off the list. Okay. I made it there. And now like, you know, this next, this next winter, I'd like to get on skis and, and I'm going to build up, you know, it's just kind of like going through, okay, how do I have to get there? But then, you know, 2012, so that was 2011, 2012, the fall, I got an infection in my right knee. It was really bad. And um, the guy took fluids, the doctor, and he was like, this is really infected. We got, we have to go in and replace the plastic. So that happened. I had no idea you had a revision like so soon from an infection. Wow. That's a big deal. I know my doctor was not happy, but we had moved to San Francisco in that time. I was like, what do you do? You know? And my, I went and saw him like a a couple of years later, he was like, what the hell? (laughs) Like this. And then I was really mad, but whatever, I've forgiven the guy. He, after he went in, he goes, I think I could have taken care of that with antibiotics. I was like, like, don't tell me this. (laughs) Thanks for that. You should have just not said that part. The things you don't say to your patient. (laughs) Right. That's the time we use your inside voice and you don't let that out. Uh, he's like French. I think everything just came out like, you know, like thinking out loud, like, don't tell me these things. But yeah, that recovery was rough because I was on such heavy antibiotics. It it was just like a, I had a pick line in my arm for six weeks and just daily, you know, administration of antibiotics. And, and actually, I think that's where my elbows started acting up. Because I just think it like totally, completely wiped out my gut flora personally. That's my personal belief. You're like stress, right? The organism was under tremendous stress. Yeah. Well, and every day, copious amounts of antibiotics. I mean, it's like unsustainable. And I wasn't, I didn't really know what nutritional therapy was back then. I mean, I've always been holistic, but I didn't, I didn't really know to go grab some anti, uh, some probiotics or eat more sauerkraut or, you know, these sorts of things, which I, I, I mean, I think would have helped, but who knows? Oh, the one thing that I really did through all of this as well was Pilates that really, really helped. Yeah. I mean, I just kept getting better and better, just, you know, kind of focused on what could I do to improve? We moved to England in 2014 and I had a baby in 2015. And then by 2016, I just, somebody had introduced me to a herbal, uh, a traditional Chinese medicine herbalist that again was a three month waiting list. And, and I just felt like my medications weren't helping at all. I had done every diet under the sun and that improved my numbers a bit, like my, um, inflammation blood markers. And then I saw this guy, I went off my meds by myself, like in September, I and through this time, I had gone on and off of meds. And then I met this guy. And yeah, his his stuff is amazing. He's just this British, Iraqi British guy who taught himself 
Chinese, went and studied in China and is an amazing herbalist. But anyway, I worked with him for a few years. But in in between all of that, I really got into the mind-body stuff. And also when we moved over, I had been into nutrition for a, a bit that already. I mean, I kind of have a, even though I wasn't doing nutrition specifically, like with the whole uh, gut microbiome and stuff, you know, I grew up in a pretty holistic household. Like my mom would grind her own um, grains for bread, like her own flour, stuff like that. Sorry, that's a little piece. Cause then when we moved over, I was like, okay, I can't work yet. I had to, you know, get the right documentation. And I, I've always wanted to go back to school. And so I retrained as a nutritional therapist. And I mean, that just opened so many doors for me just the people you meet in that type of schooling and all the connections. I mean, still to this day, some of my very best friends are from that classroom. Just, yeah. So I've been pharmaceutical free since 2016 and I would say herbal medicine free like for a few years now, a couple of years. Yeah. And, and just really, and it's funny, like I can tell when, when something hurts, I look at what's been going on. And cause I used to say, what's wrong with me? What's wrong with my body? What's wrong with me? But like, I think the question to ask is, why is this happening to me? What is it showing me? And for me, I can, I, a lot of times I can pinpoint an argument or, or, um, you know, uh, some really big stress. Like I was a mess most of August. I was not feeling great. And we were, I mean, we had uprooted our whole lives and moved across, you know, left a place we loved and moved back to the US. My son completely foreign to him. I mean, it was really stressful. I was just like a bit achy, you know, just like, oh. And it wasn't, it wasn't like some big swollen joint. It was just like, you know, like during flu or whatever, when you're just a bit achy, you're like, oh, what's, you know, what's going on? But I look back and that's when I just have to get really, really mindful and, you know, and, and not beat myself up for having an ice cream cone the night before. Cause that's not it. It's like, yes, nutrition plays a huge role. Don't get me wrong, like huge role, but it's not like the end all be all. I, I just really believe that even as a nutritionist, like it's not the end all be all. It's interesting because Patty and I have a friend who has come to the realization she'll on occasion have a, a low back flare up and it's gotten to the point where she can, she takes a minute, she gets quiet and she thinks about what's going on in her life. And a lot of it, she can pinpoint to a stressor that maybe or something that she's worried about in her life. And it's fascinating to me. I think it's great that you guys are so in tune. And I feel like I'm in tune with my body too. Like I notice things that, that change and have that curiosity. Like I want to know why I don't think that my pain is happening because there's a lack of acetaminophen in my diet. (laughs) (laughs) I think it may be something else, but (laughs) so, so many, there's so many people that, yeah, there's so many people that just, they're just like, Oh, my stomach hurts. And then they just keep going. And I'm like, well, well, is it something you ate? Is it something, you know, this and that, and they don't want to be bothered with that. (laughs) Just give me a pill. Yeah. My favorite is the, Oh, every time I eat this, my stomach hurts so badly, but I just love it so much. I'm like, oh. mm. <laughs> maybe, that's, maybe that's where food really is the problem. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so, so Taylor, like if you were to go to a regular doctor, a conventional doctor, and have the test for rheumatoid arthritis, you would show no signs of rheumatoid arthritis. 
no signs of an autoimmune disease. Yeah. Yeah. They would. Um, so what they do, like if I go to a, well, a rheumatologist checks all your joints, right. And they go, okay. Like if you have, I think 10 that are warm or inflamed, they'll give you biologics these days. I don't, I don't remember. I haven't been to a rheumatologist since 2016. And then in the UK, we have the NHS and I got my blood work done like every six months and they never re-referred me to a rheumatologist. That's awesome. So, so I couldn't tell you what it's at right now, but I'm pretty sure it's the same. <laughs> That's really awesome. Yeah, yeah. And what what did you do like for those who are listening who want your secret recipe? And I'm sure it's not that like something you can just say, but can you tell us some of the the things around, you know, like getting curious and leaning into an ache or a pain or not feeling well? Where where did you learn about that? What is it just again something that's inside you or is it something that you learned through your nutrition? courses, through someone you met, through a book you read, like Kara, Kara was um, sharing with me Louise Hayes's book, You Can Heal Your Life. Oh my gosh. I literally just wrote that down last night because that is one of the books that changed my life. It's a great book. I, so to answer your question, I think it's really important. This, for me, it was very important to get to a point of uh, being out of pain, mostly out of pain, in order to start doing the inner work. There's a lot of people who are stronger than me and say, I don't want any medication. I don't want anything. I don't want any help. I'm just going to go dive in the deep end and start doing the internal work. I, I couldn't even see clearly on those like really painful days. So I, there, I have no shame when I say that I totally went the pharmaceutical route in the beginning and got help. Because I think then when you are not dealing with pain 24-7, I mean, the type of pain they call, sometimes they call it pain somnia, where you're in so much pain that you can't even sleep. I'm not that, per I'm not like, no, I'm like, give me the stuff and let me get a good night's sleep. And then I can be clear headed to be able to take care of myself and my family. You know what I mean? I just wanted to put that out there because sometimes people are like, oh, it's like, it's okay. But I feel like getting to a point where I wasn't dealing with it all the time allowed like the pain all the time allowed me to explore more. So yeah, I was, I've always been into energy work and stuff like that. My mom took me to spiritual healers. They've always been quite, quite like I did rapid eye therapy at like eight years old. I mean, it's like all this really weird stuff that I now love. <laughs> but as a kid, I was like, what? they're taking me to another person. <laughs> So I was seeing this, I found this Reiki woman down the street from me in London and we were doing Reiki and then she's really lovely. This, I think she's from Hungary and, and she was just so, there was just something about her. It's almost like she was a fairy, just like really petite and everything she said just sounded magical. And she, she and I got talking and she said, oh yeah, I've started reading this book by Louise. Hey, heal your life. And I was like, I don't really know who this person is and come to find out she had just passed or like a month prior, the Louise Hay woman. And so I picked up her book. I was like, this is amazing. And then I picked up her other book, Heal Your Body, which is like, it goes in and you can, it's not super in-depth. I actually now have a really in-depth book called The Metaphysical Anatomy. That's what it's called. It's like this, it's, it's like four inches thick. It's amazing. Oh, it just arrived. <laughs> It just arrived. I'm so excited. I got to dig it out. But, <laughs> uh, but anyway, Louise Hayes, and it goes through the different body systems of like when you have when you have an ailment in this body system. Da, 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 da. So I, of course, went to all the places of all the joints and 
and I just started looking into all of that. I started journaling like crazy. I tell everybody to journal, like get it all out and then never read it again, throw it away. And so that book was, was really, really amazing because then we got into all of the authors that are kind of connected to her, Wayne Dyer, Eckhart Tolle. My husband's really into all this stuff too. And which makes it nice because that we can talk about these things and not be on like a single journey. Yeah. So that kind of started all of that. And I don't remember when that was. I feel like I definitely had William, maybe that's my son. Maybe it was like 2018. And also along this, I, I mean, the thing is, is like, if you spent a week with me, you would see all the different things that I do. I mean, I'm very heavily involved with homeopathy. I do Qigong every day. I mean, I do tapping for emotions, emotional freedom technique. I release emotions through something called the body code or the emotion code. I journal like crazy. I coach myself. I do worksheets on myself. Like, I, I, I mean, I'm just nonstop because I just, it makes me feel good. And I love feeling good. It's been so, I think I had so many years where I missed out of feeling good that I'm like, why not continue to just try to feel better and better and better. And so, yeah, I would say those Louise Hay books. And it's funny because I think she's making a trend on, I've noticed on Instagram, quite a few people reading her again, at least people I follow. And I'm like, oh, that's so funny that she kind of, I think these people just kind of come around, you know, their books, they're, they're timeless, right? So yeah, but some pretty big influencers who I follow, like, you know, millions of followers and they're not awesome. You know, it's so great that this stuff is getting out there because I think most of these spiritual teachers, they're, they're, the message is similar. Love yourself, love who you are, be okay with who you are. And then you can go out and like help others and love others. I mean, really it comes like not saying that everything comes down to self-love, but that's like a really big part of everything is, is that self-love because if you can love yourself, then you can, you know, that goes outward so hugely and you can love other people. And I don't know, I don't even know how it came to that, but like, it really is such a big thing. And like, you know, autoimmune diseases is the attack of the self. And so emotionally, um, especially rheumatoid arthritis, it's the attacking of the joints. And so if you kind of put that into the emotional box of, oh, it, why am I attacking myself? And I had to do a lot of self-love work, like a lot of compassionate work, really I it kind of highlighted that I didn't really have much compassion for myself. So like when I was diagnosed, I didn't tell anybody. I was just really embarrassed and really full of shame. And I literally walked around just feeling shameful for years. Taylor, I want you to tell us about that because you just explained a really holistic environment that you grew up in, like one where we would think, you know, is not usual or typical. And I think that unfortunately, most human beings aren't taught to love themselves we hear that being selfish, you're selfish if you give yourself attention or love or do something for you. And I think that it's unfortunate that we're not taught to just love ourselves unconditionally as kids. So can you tell us all the shame that you felt around that, where it came from, and your thoughts on us not loving ourselves and learning that at a young age? Yeah, it's funny because I grew up, I grew up in a family that's all about love and I love you. And I mean, every time I, I mean, it's even in my family now, we, I mean, every two minutes, Hey, I love you. I love you. Wait, they, I mean, my son walks out the front door to go play with the neighbor. I love you. I mean, it's just like, but I think it's, it's, um, it's so different from that. I think it's the, you know, enough, I'm capable. I am worthy, it, it, you know? And, and so I think that all goes into that self-love and sometimes 
you know, growing up for anybody, I think it's, we're constantly trying out for teams. We're constantly, you know, if you go to a co-ed school, it's who you're like, oh, who likes me? Or, you know, it's, it's a constant competition, right? And then I think that that can really um, make somebody feel like they're not good enough or they're not worthy. It's funny because I didn't realize that this was like the whole compassion thing for myself. I actually didn't realize until I was training to become a life coach. And they take you back. It's called timeline. And you do this timeline work. I was doing this timeline work. And I just sat there and it wasn't even, it wasn't even like this moment where I just bawled. It was just a moment where I was like, oh, like big light bulb. Like, oh, I had no compassion for myself. Like that poor 15, 16 year old girl, like, like now I feel bad for her. Ah. It was just a huge aha moment. So I think over the, over the past few years, it's just been a lot of like, I I'm a really big fan of future journaling or journaling as I want it to be. So it's like, you know, I just tell myself all the time. I'm like, I am amazing. Like I am so capable of, you know, blah, 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 blah. I am worthy of da, 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 da. And I just constantly like, even when somebody gets mad at me, I now have a conversation with myself and I'm like, Hey, Taylor, like, it's okay. Like you actually showed up and yeah, you may not have said the right things, but you know, you were able to get it out. It wasn't the most eloquent way of getting it out, but you were able to get it out. Like, well done you. Good for you. That's so great. Oh, I like that. So I have a lot of pep talks. <laughs> <laughs> And yeah, and I mean, I've read a ton of books and, you know, they all help. I listen to a ton of podcasts and I just, I think, I think a lot of like sticking with something is just constantly having some, you know, it's, you know, working with somebody or constantly reading something to improve yourself or because I I don't know about you guys, but I don't stay motivated just on my own. I don't wake up every day and say, I'm going to seize the day. It's just not me. Yeah, (laughs) I'm like, oh, but you know, it's, it's setting up the practice of doing things like, you know, journaling or going for a walk in the morning, that, that quiet moment. I'm really into, I learned, I was taught data healing. It's a type of energy work a few years ago, a couple of years ago, two years ago. And that is, it's a way of meditating that I just really love. So I do that a lot. It's like, you know, if your thing is praying, you know, just finding something where, you're disconnecting from the noise of everybody else in the world and, you know, putting your phone away or putting your phone on silent airplane mode for 30 minutes of the day. I just think we're so, I think the self-love thing is, is also really difficult when we're constantly looking at a phone and seeing, you know, it's not just celebrities now, it's influencers and your neighbor and I don't know, some colleague. It's just constant. It's constant. Like, I feel like media social media and media is constantly like, you're not enough. You're not cool. You you don't belong to the club. Like, <laughs> and, and so it's just, it's just kind of going back to, it's taking that time to go inward and just, you know, know, know that you're enough and stuff like that. And, and, you know, there's other ways of healing. Like if there's been like a trauma around any of that, you know, you can go back and address it with somebody or even through journaling, like rewrite the story, write journal out how you want it to be and and then burn it or throw it away or but i think the the self love thing i don't know a lot of people who are just born with self love i tell uh, oh one thing that louise hay does in her audiobook i think it is i think it's the audio version of her book it could be 
but she touches her throat 10 times and stands in the mirror and says, I am willing to change. I am willing to change. So my son was two at the time and we were all doing it together in the mirror. I am willing to change. But then (laughs) we also have him hold his chest, you know, put his hand on his chest, like on his heart and look in the mirror and say, I love me. And she says in her book, she's like, it's very difficult for some people to do that, to look at themselves in the eyes and say, I love me. You know, I love myself. So I think it just, you got to start with where you're at. If you can't look in the mirror yet, you know, journal and, and go there say, why, why not? Like, so what? you know, answer some questions and just, you know, it's, it's really, it can be really uncomfortable, but it's not going to change if you don't change something. Like, what is that? Is it Einstein who says the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over and over and expecting a different outcome? Yes. Yeah. I I just think it's, I've had a lot of uncomfortable moments. (laughs) Well, you're talking about being vulnerable and you're talking about being vulnerable with yourself. Yeah. And so that's really hard and uncomfortable. And most people, as much as they might want to get better or improve, are not willing to be vulnerable. It's so foreign and uncomfortable. Yeah. Like it's like getting naked in front of, you know, people that maybe are going to judge you or tell you you're not good enough, right? Or you don't fit in. Yeah. Because because of that. Well, it's being truthful, right? Like the truth is is sometimes a really hard pill to swallow. Yeah. Especially like, what is it? Shame. It, shame says that you are a bad person and guilt is you did something bad. Mm-hmm. The belief around shame, like you were saying, you were kind of shameful about that diagnosis, which I would imagine said that you felt like you were a bad person about it because of it. Yeah. And I think also like that just reminded me of, you know, I'm probably a bit of a, of a, well, I am a bit of a people pleaser. And so it's that kind of perfectionist mentality as well. Like, oh, somebody's going to look at me and I'm not perfect. I'm not doing it right. You know? So I think that is self, obviously it's self-sabotaging. So, and I don't know that, I don't know if that's learned. I mean, it's easy to blame, right? It's easy to say, oh, my parents and it's, uh, but that, that's the other thing that I just, I can't, I can't do the blame game and like, woe is me. Mm-hmm. I do it every once in a while when I want something. <laughs> <laughs> like, oh, well, with me. But you know what I mean? <laughs> the victim mentality doesn't really get you anywhere. I, I just, yeah, I think it's a, I think that's part of that. Like those, you can only help those who will help themselves. I always say that, you know, you can't really, it, it's like, you know, that quote of teach a man to fish and, and he'll fish, he'll eat forever. Right. But yeah. The victim mentality to me kind of pushes people away. If you're constantly complaining about how you're the victim, I mean, it gets tiring to listen to that for others. For sure. I agree. So you, I think you made a statement that you weren't sure if we were like born with self-love. And I wonder if we're born with it. We like, we have ourself, we're born with ourself, but you know, being domesticated or Conditioned, yeah. Conditioned kind of takes that self and changes it into, you know, fitting in almost. Like you're going to fit in the family or you're going to fit in the school or you're going to fit in the group, you know. And it changes who we are in a way where you were saying, now I need to fit in. Now I need to belong. I need to figure out the rules. I need to know what they are and I need to be loved through the process. 
Whereas you here you are with your son, William, at two years old, teaching him, I can change. I'm open to change. And I love me. And you're teaching your son, right? To put his hand on his heart and say, I love me. Yeah. What a great gift you're giving your child to let him know from the get-go that, yeah, you you might need to change or you need to be open to change. And the most important love is the one you have for yourself. So for moms out there who might be raising children right now, what would you tell them? What would you tell these moms on how to maybe raise a child with a different approach of self-love and acceptance and how they can create that space for themselves. Do you believe there's a way to teach that where kids can learn it? Yeah, for sure. I think, you know, so many people talk about unconditional love and this has been really on my mind a lot um, the past couple of years, actually. And I think, and I'm not by any means perfect at this at all, but I always try to go back to, you know, what is the true definition of unconditional love? It's no conditions, right? And it's not letting your children get away with everything, but it's maybe not yelling at them so much or maybe not, I don't know, I'm having all these like flashbacks of my childhood, like so so much guilt, you know, grow up very religious. (laughs) I'm like, ah, but it's, yeah, it's, um, it's like quick to forgive, you know? like children really, they're so innocent, especially up till seven years old, they're living in this theta brainwave. They are, um, they're really just in playland, in dreamland, and they really are not malicious. But yet, I think it's, gosh, Bruce Lipton, um, he talks a lot about, you know, you've really, a lot of people do, but he's coming to mind right now about, you really got to be careful what you teach a child or or do with a child before the age of seven. And I'm really conscious of this right now because my son is six and a half. And sometimes I'm like, oh, like, why did you do that? You know, and to myself, because I'm like, oh, he's still in these years of living in this theta. Like they're so impressionable. They're so, you can, there's, I think it was Carl Jung. He said, give me a child until they are seven and I will own them because they are that, they, they are that like clay, you know, you can, you can mold them in any way that you would like. So, so we're, we're religious, but we're, but I've been very careful to not be dogmatic about anything. And yeah, I just, I, I don't want, I want him to have an open mind. You know, everybody chooses their own ways to be, but I think in terms of, you know, having kids who love themselves is like, I don't know. I mean, this might not go well with some people, but I think there's so many extremes these days. It's like, you have to be this or that, or it's like teaching them that they're fantastic with their genetic makeup and how they look and the color of their eyes, the color of their skin, the color of their hair, you know, not trying to make them somebody that you missed out on being as a kid. Mm. You know, if you're not the star basketball player, and now you're forcing your child to do it who doesn't really care, like, let go of, don't push your dreams on your children, you know, and I think these children will, I think they need direction, but at a young age, and I'm literally talking to the age of seven, you know, is it really necessary to have something every single day after school? Mm-hmm. You know, is it really necessary to exhaust them from sun up to sundown? Mm-hmm. You know, give them time to explore, give them time to be bored and get to know themselves a little bit. You know, 
go let them play in the backyard and and say no you can't have a device until you've played for an hour my mom i used not that we had cell phones or anything when i was a kid but i every day when i came home from school we lived in decent weather i had to jump on the trampoline for like 30 minutes <laughs> like before i could do anything i was like she's like oh you know but those are the times those are the moments when i or, or like we had a playroom and i would sit in there for hours with my barbies and my baby dolls and just create this whole fantasy world mm-hmm. you know these are i i think these days it's being stripped from children because it's like they get home from school and it's like oh go watch a tv show that's going to tell you who to be they're not great tv shows these days <laughs> so i think it's it's being and if, if you can't be a present parent, there's no shame in that. If you have a nanny or a babysitter or their aftercare, just, you know, choose things that, you know, make sure that your babysitter or your nanny or the aftercare place is, is filling them up with love. And, you know, my parents were my biggest cheerleaders. I, I think that's been really helpful as well. They always told me you can do anything, anything you want to do, just go for it. Like, I remember some of my friends were so terrified to go home and show their parents their grades. They were terrified. Wow. And I just, gosh, like, why does it like, yeah, obviously you want to work hard and and do your best, but like, maybe you're just really not good at that subject and you did your best. And like, what's a grade anyway? Like, really? I mean, that's when I start getting really curious about human behavior and like how silly some of these rules are (laughs) that are living. Like life is weird. (laughs) That's the best day. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> it's fantastic, but there's really weird rules that society has. I mean, like, that is the quote of the podcast. <laughs> Life is weird. weird. It is totally it's weird. amazing. And it's weird. <laughs> it, it is, but that's what makes it amazing in a way. Yeah. You would have never been on your journey if life wasn't so weird. Right. That's for sure. So Taylor, I have Louise's book right I here. That. <laughs> and I, I pulled it out because I was explaining to Patty and for those who are listening, who do not know Louise's, Louise Hay, You Can Heal Your Life. In the back of, she cured herself from cancer. Yeah. Holistically. And that's, and then she wrote wrote this book about, and really it is a lot about love, loving yourself, but just having love for everything, period. Because like that could be what makes us not just better people, healthier people. Anyway, in the back, there is a list, like a table that's several pages long of what she calls the problem. So there could be a a physical issue that you're having, the probable cause, and then a new thought pattern to give yourself, which to me is kind of like a mantra. Yeah. Or an affirmation. Yeah. Or an affirmation, right? And and Taylor, you've already talked about, you know, the touching your throat and the touching your heart that you do as a family. So I just didn't know if you had read the one for rheumatoid arthritis and whether or not it resonated with you, but the probable cause it says, and I think when you read these, sometimes even if it's not a conscious thing, it may be a subconscious thing that we're holding on to, but uh, the probable cause, deep criticism of authority, feeling very put upon. Mm, Yeah. I haven't read that book in like four or five years, but um, yeah, I definitely did read it. Um, And it's also, there's other books that touch on self, just self-criticism, just critical of self. And that, that's when I was saying like the perfectionist and, you know, and I've really had to, that's why I was talking about those pep talks as well. It's, it's like, Hey, like calm down. Like you're okay. I have to talk to myself as if I'm talking to my son. Yeah. That's what I tell people. If you don't have a child, talk to yourself how you would talk to a really good friend who you're trying to 
help them feel better about a situation. Like, hey, you know, it's okay. You know, you don't need to beat yourself up. And uh, yeah, just like, it's just being kinder to yourself, really. I mean, at least, at least in my pattern. Even talking to your inner child, like picture you as a child, if you know, and talk to that. Yeah, that's a good one too. So the little girl, the little boy inside. And, you know, you would never yell at that person. No. Like you're yelling at yourself. So just be, you know, that kind of changes it and makes you feel a little more compassion. But the new thought pattern or the affirmation is for rheumatoid arthritis is I am my own authority. I love and approve of myself and life is good. Oh, yes. I love and approve of myself. I love, she says that a lot and stuff. And then I love how she ends everything with all is well. (laughs) (laughs) I love that. It's so lovely. If you listen to her, I think her audio book on Heal Your Body is really lovely because she, or I think it's that book as well. I think I have both. And she just goes through all these lovely, just like meditations in a way. They're not really meditations because they're just a little bit like a little blip of something. And they're just so nice. It makes me want to go and listen to them again, actually. The beauty of audiobooks is you can just keep listening over and over. <laughs> I know. I have so many. <laughs> <laughs> Taylor, if someone's listening and they're diagnosed with rheumatoid arthritis or they're suffering from it or just learned about it, what's the one thing you would tell them to seek out or to do? Just if you were to tell them one thing, what would it be? This is the first thing that comes to mind, and it's probably going to sound really annoying to them because I remember being first diagnosed, but getting out a notebook and just writing how how you feel about it, because sometimes, well, actually, I know probably everybody would not want to just sit there and truly tell somebody how they're feeling at that moment with that diagnosis. So with yourself, obviously, writing it down on a piece of paper is a lot safer and a lot free, more freeing than talking to somebody about it. But also if you can't do that, like say your wrist is really affected, uh, talk into your phone and then just delete it, but just like get it out. You know, it's just getting it out. I think, you know, I've done a lot of studying of emotions getting trapped in the body and that's, I mean, they're finding that that's a lot of ailments is just getting those emotions trapped in the body and not getting them out. You know, it's, it's like that person who's never heard, or it's, you know, sometimes, especially if you like, I would say, if you can afford to work with somebody, work with somebody, but that's not always somebody's ability to do that right away. So I would just get it out, like on paper, on your phone, um, type it out, and then just delete it, let go of it, like send it off and say, thank you. Like, and then, and then really, I would start a really easy place to start is YouTube and just doing meditations of loving yourself. And also one of the things that I got into at a young, at really early on was Qigong and I still love it to this day. It's like 20 years. It's awesome. So I haven't been doing it every day for 20 years. I stopped for a couple of years, but now I've been into it since again, since early 2020. And I just love it. I, I mean, I do it all the time. It makes me feel so good. <laughs> and it also it moves that energy through the body. Ah, okay. And you don't have to go anywhere to do that, right? You can find plenty of ways to do it just at home on YouTube. Or- yeah. And it's so gentle. Like it's probably the most gentle exercise that, that somebody could do. And it's just getting that energy flowing and blood circulation, you know, 
And that's so important. I mean, especially like that, that's where I really learned about the importance of the blood was with this Chinese medicine doctor. He was just, he said, you know, the blood tells you so much. And he just like would feel somebody's pulse and see how it's flowing. I mean, it's so fascinating. The blood, you know, and there's foods to tonify the blood and cleanse the blood and just, you know, it's so cool. It is so cool. Taylor, if you could go back and talk to that 15-year-old Taylor right now and, you know, after she received first received her diagnosis, what would you say to her? Mm, good question. I don't know. So I have two parts to this. One is my life has been pretty amazing and I don't know that I would change that much <laughs> because I'm like, if I were to talk to her, then I don't know where I'd be right now. But if I could say anything to her, I'd probably, I'd probably, um, so I kind of did this actually. It, I did a timeline activity once and I was just, you know, having compassion, just like, Hey, it's okay. Like there's no, there's no shame in this because that was really the strong emotion for me at that time. It wasn't, it really wasn't anything else. It was just like, I just remembered like such deep embarrassment and shame, like what, like deep, deeply, 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 something is wrong with me. Wow. Like that, you know, and, and just to, I would love to, yeah, if I could, I would go back and kind of be that older sister or something that's like, Hey, like, you're amazing. Like, look at this, like, let's, let's figure it out. Let's, you know, and I'd probably say what I would say to somebody newly diagnosed, you know, like talk to somebody or journal it out and start um, working on the relationship with yourself, kind of go into those questions that are really uncomfortable to answer. Like, why, you know, why are you embarrassed? Why are you feeling so shameful? Like what's, I always love the question. What's the worst, like, what's the worst thing that can come with feeling that way or having that thought? And then just kind of like in, um, in energy healing, like we call it digging, you just dig deeper. And I think that's probably what I would do is just like really dig with myself, get to the nitty gritty. (laughs) (laughs) That's great. Good thought. Yeah. Is there anything else you think that people need to know, Taylor? Uh, about what? (laughs) What types of clients do you work with? I work with, I work with everybody, but, um, for the past few years, a lot of, most of them have had a chronic illness, but I've, you know, every age. And sometimes it's funny because most of them have some sort of ailment like IBS or an autoimmune disease, but so many of them want to lose weight. (laughs) (laughs) Ah, okay. That always seems like a popular one. Like, okay, I want to feel better and I want to lose weight. (laughs) Let's do this. No, lots of female health, mostly, mostly female health. Okay. But, you know, it's so all like, it's so all tied to like, I don't want to say everything stems from the same thing, because that's like a really blanket statement. But, you know, it's just bringing them back to um, homeostasis. It's it's finding that imbalance, really, and just creating balance. And whether that's a lot of times, you know, hormones often are out of balance, or, you know, it's so yes, I do nutrition, but it's so often, you know, you can remove a few quote unquote bad foods and, but it's so much working on their mindset really. And their relationship with themselves and how they see themselves. I mean, like, you know, I've got this little girl, she just came, comes to mind again and she's so hard on herself. And it's, it's like, I see the same thing that I saw in myself. And it's so interesting. I think it's, I really do think it's a pattern of RA where it's just so harsh on yourself so critical so like oh i didn't i didn't do that good enough you know it it goes so it's it's working on those i mean 
but I work a bit differently than other like nutritional therapists. Cause I have a bit further training in other areas that interest me. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's just, you know, working on like, I mean, number one, people have got to believe that they're going to get better. Like that is the number one. That's where you have to start from or else you're only going to get so far. You're only going to move the marker like X amount of spots. But if somebody believes that they're invincible and they can do anything and this is just a blip in their road, they'll, you know, those are the type that you see doing like really cool stuff. And they're like, oh yeah, I used to have that. Like, I mean, I know this one girl who is, I mean, she's doing amazing things. You would never guess that she's had like these conditions that she's had in the past, just traveling all over the world, full of energy. You know, I've seen really cool stuff in people who just have that deep belief of, yeah, my body is here and my body's amazing and my body will heal itself. So great. I've read that in so many of the books that I've read, but you're the first person that I've met in real life that's done that. Taylor. It's so very cool, Taylor. It's it to me, it's absolutely amazing. And possibly, you know, I guess you might call it a miracle, but it's just incredibly cool. And I, I really appreciate you sharing your story here. Oh, thank you. And let's share Taylor and how to get in touch with Taylor. Yes. Um, to everyone, Kara. So I will spell Taylor's name because it's spelled a little bit differently. So it's T-A-E-L-O-R. And Bennett has two N's and two T's. But um, the best way to reach out to Taylor, if you have any questions or if you're you're thinking about working with her, www.taylorbennett.com. Also, her email address is taylorc, as in Charlie, Bennett, at gmail.com. And then her Instagram handle is at taylorbennett. And that's Bennett with a B as in boy. Yes. Yeah, yes. sorry. I <laughs> I just figured the two N's and two T's would be good, but yeah, in case for whatever reason it's unclear. In case it's like Dennett, it's not. Uh okay. Bennett, he is in boy. He is in Edward and is in Nancy. And is in Nancy. He is in You're Edward. Good at those. I'm so used to doing that stuff with like with my name and like I say C if you cat, but it could be like hat or <laughs> awesome. I never know what to say on the like E as an elephant. <laughs> the really long Echo. name. Yeah. Echo. Yeah, I know. What do the military say? It's it's Alpha, Bravo, Charlie. I don't know. Tango. <laughs> Tango. <laughs> All right. well, thanks, guys. <laughs> Thank you so much, Taylor. It's going to be awesome. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you for sharing your story. We hope this podcast has inspired and empowered you to overcome what might be holding you back from living your best life. If you love this podcast, please share it with a woman you know who needs a little empowerment. Now go out in the world and be bold, be brave, be you. Perfectly imperfect you. With love, Kara and Patty. I wonder what would happen if you say what you want to say. Life is weird. Life is weird. Life is weird. Mixed and edited by Desmond McNeese for We Mixed It, LLC. Go to whatsoundsawesome.com. Can we stop recording? Sure.